Welcome back to another episode of the 104 podcast, podcast about the Edmonton Oilers in a healthy and productive manner. I am your co-host, Herman Vijegas, and on my right is another failed analytics experiment, <laughs> Elliot Tanti. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> How are uh, you, Elliot? <laughs> I'm not feeling great this morning. Yeah, that's so, why uh, I wanted to. <laughs> Make sure that you were you were called out to properly today. <laughs> you know, I, I just I I, uh, I think analytics uh, work. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> Boots on the ground. I uh, I've heard the term before, not one that I use regularly. <laughs> Next question. Are you doing a Koskin interview? Is what you do? <laughs> I may might. I've heard of the person Koskinen before. <clears throat> so it's funny that you mentioned the Koskinen thing because yesterday I listened to. Is that I've never listened to an interview, and I was like, and I pay attention because he was like uh, being interviewed before the game, and they were asked. He asked him about. It, he's like, oh, what is this? Is it really nice to like play in Edmonton with the fans and whatnot? And he's like, yeah, it's good. It's um, you know, like <laughs> it's I, <good>. it's. <laughs> I think I think it's a it's a big it's a big thing that playing away from the road, and it's not it's not a big problem, but playing home, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> and then like the interview was like, uh. You know, can you talk about like the fans and like trying to bring you up? It's like, oh yeah, yeah, the fans, yes, they're also good, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I told you yeah, he's a gem. I, <laughs> I told you he's a gem. It's great. He's just like a very, very quiet, humble giant. <laughs> yeah, he's a humble. He's really good at saving the pot. <laughs> That's exactly it. And All right. media, a member of the media's nightmare for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, which is always There's, great. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get to the recap. Alrighty, so three games this week. You said you thought it would go Talbot, Koskinen, Koskinen. I said I thought it was going to be Koskinen, Koskinen, Koskinen. Turns out you were right. Not in the right order, but they, Talbot did get in a game this Thank week. You. This is all my way of <laughs> trying to avoid the conversation of how the Oilers actually did this week, yes. which is that they lost all three <laughs> damn games. It's uh, a so, bad, bad week. <laughs> Sunday night uh, against Vancouver. Look, game, I thought the Oilers were going to win for sure. Yeah. Um, and we're up for a bit. Ended up losing 4-2. Yep. Uh, Elias, yep. Pe- uh, Elias Pettersson. Pettersson, hey. Woo! That goal he had yeah. was fantastic. He is, he is good. He's he is really good. Really He's quiz. really good. He, Not as good as McDavid. Although I know there's some Canuck fans that are really, really pushing the pushing the narrative on the Pedersen is better than McDavid. And I'm like, settle. <laughs> is that really a thing that's going on? Yes. I, and I think it's just like, you know, how like like people talk about well, Alberta, Alberta separatism. That's I feel like that's the same language. That's like that. The Pedersen is better than I McDavid. mean, it would make sense because like Vancouver fans disappear when the team's not doing well. So they show up and see him do that. I, I could understand why that would be a... Uh, they can see his <laughs> They're like, oh, it's a good player. Oh, he must be better than everybody baby. else. I, uh, for those of you uh, who listen to the show who don't know, I spent two years in Vancouver as an Oilers fan where the Oilers were terrible and Vancouver was great. And uh, I got a chip on my shoulder about it. <laughs> Tuesday night, uh, you and I were indisposed, but uh, apparently so were the Edmonton Oilers as yes. they lost 4-1 to what is probably the worst team in the league. One of, yes, absolutely. St. Louis Blues. <laughs> Uh, in a game that I, you know, I, 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 from what I've heard, was an atrocity. It was a bad, bad game. That's what I heard as well too. I saw the highlights. I saw the comments. I everyone was upset about this game. Yeah, I, I don't think the team played well. I don't think that uh, they were there was any real positives to be taken out of it. No. Um, 
Nope. And again, you know, another opportunity for two points that the Oilers squandered. Last night, uh, so, so the Oilers have some time off. They get some practices in. A bunch of news happens uh, in between St. Louis. But in this game, Tampa Bay, Saturday night, uh, I watched the first two periods of it. Yeah. I thought the Oilers were uh, quite strong. Through they the were. First, uh, like period, period and a half? Period yeah. and a half, yeah, yeah. And then uh, fell off. Yeah. Ended up losing 6-3 in a game in which they were up one nothing and 2-1. Um, and, you know, and empty netter aside, uh, when Tampa Bay got up 4-2, I think that was yeah, it. Yeah, that was it. Like, they, they just, like, they're like, yeah, okay, we, we can play with you, and then until a certain time. Yeah, and that, that, <laughs> that when they went from 2-1 to 2-2 and then 3-2, you could say, like, oh, yeah, this is a championship team. Man, yeah. Tampa Bay, if, they, if you haven't put money, if you're going to put a money on a team to win the Stanley Cup this year, it... It has to be tapped. They're good. They haven't lost a game since November 27th. Wow. It's been crazy, wow. crazy time. Like, good. Tampa Bay is a really good team. And really, like, I mentioned it last week, this is going to be a litmus test uh, with playing a really, really good team. Um, and they were good with, like, other good teams, like Winnipeg, Nashville. Yeah. Um, Winnipeg's top of the West, and they've, you know, they've, they've hung around with Winnipeg. But Tampa really showed the Oilers, like, what a good team looks like. They... Were solid all around. They had a lot of depth, and their yeah. transition was so fast. They have good goaltending. They are a good. They, they, they you, they're dangerous on the power play. Like there's just so many. They they have all the makings. That's all I'll say. All they their best all the players makings. were good last yes last night, and I think that's just what it is with Tampa. There was just why they lost. I think mean, it's just it was a really interesting showing. A lot of Edmonton fans knew that we weren't gonna we weren't gonna win against Tampa. But it was such like a beatdown that I was like, yeah, that that totally makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that I'm totally with it. Yeah, let's get into our strengths and opportunities this week. Kay. Who did you have for strengths? Uh, Alex Chason. I didn't haven't given him an opportunity. No, not not strength for a long time. I don't think I've ever given him strength to be honest. Uh, so I'm going to give it to him. This, you know, he scored last night. He's playing above his capacity. Like. <laughs> it's it's hard for me to say this is like one of those Shirali, uh good things because it was a PTO. You did get signed. I think this is like a diamond in the rough thing where you just find like find like ten dollars on the ground. You're like, oh, this is fantastic. Alex Chason is that hundred dollars on the ground. Uh, he's been fantastic lately, and uh, yeah, like I have nothing bad to say about Alex Chason. He's so been up Peter and down. Shirelli, GM of the year, or uh, <laughs> uh, uh, no. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Listen, I don't know. This is a giving time. This is a giving spirit. <laughs> I am giving this to I mean, the way you've been talking about him the last uh, couple of weeks, I'm thinking, uh, oh, boy. That makes sense. No, you know? we can talk about the depth issues later on, <laughs> which was really bad. It would be really bad with Shirelli. But anyways, who's your strength? Uh, I really want to give a shout out to Alex Jones. I mean, Seth Jones of the Edmonton Oilers. <laughs> <laughs> who uh, has been... You mean, uh, you mean Caleb Jones? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, actually. So, you know, I did this rendition of his first uh, first shift last week as I watched it live. It was brilliant. And it, it was, yeah, I mean, he's, he's it was, I was a bit hard on him. Um, but I think he's really stepped into... A role that is quite difficult and on a situation that's quite difficult. And he's really played well. He's excellent at moving the puck. Yes, he he's very um, good at that. He he plays to the speed of the game. He plays it at, at a speed that is the NHL level. Um, 
rarely seems to be caught out of position, but also has that capacity to make a first pass. It has a bit of an offensive flair to him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I made, you know, I was joking about how he passed the puck to McDavid and McDavid passed it back and then yeah, he kind he's of froze up. Froze. <laughs> Not now. Now he's they're going back and forth. He's, he's joining the rushes. He's playing really, really well. And I've, I'm, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm excited about this, this player. I'm excited about this prospect. And uh, it goes to show you that a little bit of seasoning in the AHL, uh, the appropriate mm-hmm. opportunity uh, on an injury uh, to to jump up, and that coupled with. Um, a good coach can make all the difference. And, and I think that I, not only am I excited about how he's playing right now, but I'm excited about how this time is really impacting his development. Yeah, I agree with that. I think Caleb Jones is not is not an all-world defender yet, uh, but I definitely think he's got the tools. He's got a lot of the, um, the anticipation to make the right play is there. And you can tell his... His seasoning and his conditioning in the AHL has definitely helped them to play in the NHL. Yeah, he was starstruck in the first game, but at the same time, he's definitely developed shift, shift, shift after shift after shift. So to come in there, missing Clefbaum, missing Russell, still missing Sakura for I don't know how long. Caleb Jones, this is an opportunity for him to really shine, and I think he's he's doing his best. And I really, it's I really appreciate that from Caleb Jones. I mean, I think everyone's being pushed. To do more on the back end on this team, yeah. And we talk, we're going to talk about this a little bit more, I think. Um, but of all the players, he's doing the best job of meeting the expectations, taking that next step. Yeah, absolutely. Who is your player with the most opportunities this week? Now, I don't want to hamper on this player too much because there's been a lot, a lot of talk about this player, and I think, I think we're just done hearing it for right now, but I'm just going to add into a little bit to the pile. And more I'm going to add him in a healthy pile, I guess. Um, to say, I'm going to give him my opportunity to, to uh, Jesse Pugliarvi, or um, how our, I think Drew Romanda calls him, Yissi? Yessa. Pugliarvi. So Pugliarvi, thrown into the first line, uh, actually did alright last night. Um, got a point, and uh, with McDavid in that first goal for the Oilers, um, why I'm giving him an opportunity is to say, like, this is your time to shine. I want him to shine. I want him to just really get in there and really... Um, Are you saying he's had opportunities or is that he's getting an opportunity? He's getting an opportunity now to, like... I feel like his opportunities before were decent. He's got a second line, got a third line. He's played with McDavid before. Um, I just feel like if any time you really just want to show your medal... And just to say, like, I am going to, like, seize this this spot in this line. This is the time to do it. And I think this is why I'm giving him an opportunity to say, like, I think you can do better. Yes, <laughs> uh, you can put up the points. And also that giveaway uh, with Tyler Johnson was not your best look. Um, that gave away that, that tying goal. Um, it was it was Kucherov. But at the same time, yeah, like, I mean, he was... He got, I, this is my thing about that yeah. play. Is that he, it, you know it got passed to him in basically his feet. It, it, you're at the highest slot. He dumped it off to the defense and they gave it right back. You know he's got to manage that pass for sure. That defenseman also doesn't need to make that pass back to him too in that situation. So it was more of a defensive problem. I think that it was just yeah, it was just a shitty play. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say that he owns some of that for sure. Um, but put him in a you know you want to put people in positions to be have success. Yeah. And I felt as though that was putting 
uh, yes in that situation in a position to fail. I think so too. Maybe. I mean, I just think I just feel like I just want him to do better and better and better and better this week. He Uh, has, and and to the point now where he's on the top line. And I thought, you know, I don't think playing with Nuge and McDavid is very easy because of just their chemistry. Yes, McDavid in general is a difficult player to play with. Um, But you know. Everyone's going to talk about Nuge, McDavid back to Nuge and in the back of the net. But the forechecking play by Puliarvi to make that happen is also a piece of that as well, too. He did get an assist on it. He did. Um, and that's and what that was good. good that he, was a good play. Absolutely, and, that was a good play. And he can play. skate with those guys. I mean, anyway. I just wanted to seize the opportunity next week. Yes, uh, just to be I, like, just for like the next you. two games, just like, just take that spot on the lineup. That lineup, that's, that, that spot is yours. Like, seize it. Yeah. Seize it. I think j- oftentimes we talk about players who win opportunities where it's like this player really struggled this week. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you and I are both kind of doing that in a different way because I initially wanted to go to someone on the back end, then I wanted to go to this player, then I wanted mm-hmm. to go to someone back on the, the, the back end. And I think I'm going to stick with the player, and that's Leon Dreisaitl. And he's got a second-line center role. He's, he's the expectation mm-hmm. that he's going to drive a line. He's playing with Alex Chason and now Tobias Breeder, who he knows. Um, <laughs> and they do actually have a chemistry. They despite really the do. Fact they really do. They're both the they speak the same language. <laughs> Um, there is there is like sort of a capacity there between the two of them. So I think my my opportunity this this week is around the opportunity that's been given to Drysaddle to do what I think his contract dictates and what the expectation is of him, which is to drive his own line. Yes. And I don't know that that was ever fairly bestowed on him. Um, he did it in the playoffs for a very short period of time. He was fantastic um, in the playoffs. But the majority of that year, he was on McDavid's line, and then he was. The expectation was that moving forward, he was going to be able to do that. And it's interesting to see. He seems to be someone who maybe isn't improving as much as others with the addition of Ken Hitchcock as a coach. Um, still an excellent player. Yep. And actually got the four-three goal last night. Yep. Uh, so too. So th- there is some real exciting excitement about. Um, his future but yeah his opportunity is that he needs to take that next step and become yeah. that Malkin become that yeah seize uh, that second yeah, line exactly. seize it like it, it's it's yours to do and it's and he's giving ample opportunity to make that line his his own to have Chase on and to have Reader on his line like Chase on's playing fantastic Reader is just coming back like they this this should in all tens of purposes hopefully should work and Hitchcock talked about like the depth about how only some specific players are, re- are really pushing the the narrative here, or just we're depending too much on them. I think Drysaddle Dry is one of those players that that the Oilers really depend on to be fantastic. And I think you're right. I agree with you in that regards to that opportunity and just saying like, Drysaddle, this is your time, and he has done it before. Like I remember when he was a rookie and McDavid, not second year, and McDavid got injured. He really seized that opportunity with the Oilers. He did it in the playoffs as well. Like, I know he can do it, and, and I do want to see him more of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, anyways, um, we're going to talk about coming up, uh, what's coming up next for the Oilers. We're going to take a break, uh, but then we're going to talk about news and notes. All righty. So, we're going to be taking a two-week break. Uh, so, we won't be back next Sunday, but it'll be the Sunday after that. Um, enjoy the holidays with family and friends. And we, yeah. You know, obviously, give you guys Hopefully an you guys do too. Yeah, I think a lot of people. Uh, it's just a time to take some time away. 
So in that time, the Edmonton Oilers will be playing five games because they too will get a break. <laughs> it's like three days. Yeah, it's like three days. <laughs> um, but uh, and then be back at it. Um, so they will start off with a game Thursday in Vancouver. Here. Oh, here. Here. Against Vancouver. Yeah. Uh, which, if they don't win, I will be very bad at. <laughs> yes. Uh, they're on like a bit of a losing streak here. So, and they lost to Vancouver last week. We talked about that. Yeah, should, that's a team they should be able to beat. They should. This is these are important games, man. The Pacific games, like I, there's no excuse not beating people like Vancouver. Speaking of which, San Jose then comes to town on that Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saturday, San Jose, I think not doing as well as everyone expected them to. No, people thought they were going to run away with this. They're not. But yeah. but I think there's team. also they're they're a good team, and there's also a second half. And, they're built for the playoffs, like, let's be honest here. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of good teams, maybe one of the best. Yeah, uh, best in the West right now. Best in the West. Uh, second only to maybe Tampa Bay, this, who we yep, played yesterday pretty much. in the league. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets will be in town. A little bit of a homestand for the Edmonton Oilers mm-hmm. here. Uh, two good teams, one less so good team. You'd expect them to do well um, through that. Then they're, they're off to Amazon. Uh, Amazon. Amazon. <laughs> Arizona. <laughs> Arizona for a Wednesday night affair with uh, the Coyotes, and then they close out uh, the second week on a Saturday nighter with LA. So five games this week. I would say LA, Arizona, Vancouver, not as strong as they are. San Jose and Winnipeg, much stronger than they are. Yeah. Uh, what's your prediction? I'm gonna go three and two. I'm gonna say they beat they beat one of the Winnipeg San Jose uh, Vancouver games. Um, <clears throat> they'll lose to I'm going to say they're going to lose to LA because that's just a tendency <laughs> they beat Arizona it's such an Edmonton thing it's, it's the such most Edmonton an- <laughs> thing they can do yeah it's, it really is <laughs> So yeah, three and two. That's my that's my prediction. Three and two. Hey, okay. That's uh, that, that, that's neutrally positive. <laughs> um, I'm trying to decide which side of this I want to be on. Six points. I would say you're saying six points. Eh? <laughs> Five and zero. Oh. Oh. Merry Christmas. Or four zero oh and one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect. There's nine points. I'm saying nine points here. Nine of the positive ten. <laughs> nine out of ten points. You're thinking that after this three-game skid that there's going to be like... I think they're going to lose an overtime Hitch. to Vancouver and then just run the table for four games. It's just going to be like, here's Merry Christmas. He's a pile of crap. You know what, Better though? get better. <laughs> I, 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 it it kind of depends on... Uh, when Chris Russell joins back into the lineup, because You'll be he's here. obviously a difference maker. Seeing, yeah. seeing as how badly the team's been playing <laughs> since he's been out, uh, that's just my eye test. Uh, yes, uh, that's, that's what it is. So uh, you know, if we get Chris Russell back uh, at any point through this stretch, the team would be better for it. Okay, <laughs> news and notes. Um, JJ got suspended. Uh, Jujar Kaira got suspended for two games for what cross-checking. What did you think about the, that whole situation? Oh, man, that game was just a mess. The St. Louis game was just a mess in general. Like, they lost that one goal. That one goal that was, like... Patrick Maroon, like, get, shoveled. Shoveled it into the... And I'm like, whatever. It was, it was such a terrible game in general yeah. that I'm just like, I don't care about this as much as I should. And the Kyra thing, I think he really... Kyra lost his nerve. Um, probably frustrated over the game. Frustrated about what was happening. I mean, I, Kyra's not... I've never seen Kyra... Has Kyra been suspended? He's never been suspended, right? No, but he's one of those line players. Like, he's yeah. always kind of playing up to and beyond the line. 
but I don't mind that, right? But he's never been he's never across the line yeah, person. Yeah, yeah, so I that's this is one of those things where he's like frustrated, frustrating game. Hopefully it's a wrist slap, doesn't do it. Again. Well, and the guy that he cross-checked in the <clears throat> neck got a sus- like a fine as well. Yeah, too. he did. Like the entire play. I think it was this vicious. It was just, it was a one of those hockey retaliation things that you're like Absolutely. whatever yeah. that you stupid. don't want. But. Yeah. Yeah, so not much in news in general, but there was some Hitchcocky things that were going on this week. Hitchcocky and um, things. Hitchcocky and things. <laughs> that should be your tag. <laughs> that should be. That's the title of the episode, by we the way. We just named the episode. Yeah. Hitchcocky and things. <laughs> the changing of the lines before the Tampa Bay game, people yeah, got this was like excited. A huge thing. <laughs> it's like if, excited. if the Oilers don't play for three days, what people are able to like drum up is amazing, oh, it's eh? so good. So after the St. Louis games, there was two things that really uh, occurred. One we're going to talk about a little bit later. Um, but this is the other one where Hitchcock started um, blending the lines a bit. The first line of um, Nuge, McDavid, and Pugliarvi, people were like, yes, yes, finally. Yeah, I texted you about it as soon as I saw yeah, it. Yeah, it was, it was such a good – I'm like, this, is, this feels like – feels so natural to be like, okay, this is the line that we should be playing, right? And then Reader, Drysaddle, Chase on in second line. Makes sense. Kajula, Bratia, Cassian, third line. Lucic, Kyra, and Raddy. Now Kyra suspended, so Spooner was playing in that role. Um, and then Raddy in the third. By the way, <laughs> I don't want to bring contract into this, but Lucic's making seven? Six. Six. Spooner is making three and a half. This lineup is a good $11 million yeah, in the right fourth there. line. <laughs> Interesting. I actually think the game ended up being uh, Lucic, Braziak, Cassian. Mm-hmm. Um, by the end but, of the game, yeah. Yeah, by the end of the game. But, uh, <clears throat> I mean, the, the, the center's around one particular player, and that's Jesse Pugliarvi and mm-hmm. giving him an opportunity. And I think... For, for better or for worse, Ken Hitchcock has openly said that he's making him a project. Absolutely. And this is sort of the next step, I think, in that project. Um, it was interesting then, too, in addition to the, the, all the conversations that went around this, Brian Burke did his whatever, old man rants, <laughs> yells at crowd segment on uh, CBC last night and was talking about the draft. I'm glad I got you on that one. I <laughs> uh, was talking about the the year the Puliarvi was drafted and you know we I drafted Kachuk and blah 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 blah. He said if Puliarvi was open and it was a question between Puliarvi uh, uh, and Kachuk, I would have drafted Puliarvi. Like he's a great player. He's an outstanding player. Um, and needs an opportunity to grow he and he hasn't had that chance yet. Um, and I thought that was really interesting to hear. I mean I think it was a bit of an indictment, a shot across the bow at Todd McClellan, who's maybe not known for his development of players, mm-hmm. and obviously in favor of Ken Hitchcock, who has worked with a lot of players through a lot of areas in their yeah. career. Um, anyway, it was just interesting. Like I think this is good. I think I thought he was really strong last night. We can talk about – we kind of talked about this already because he was your player with opportunities this week. Mm-hmm. Um, but, again, you know, you I point to the goal, the first goal of the game – yeah, yeah and I agree. that's the kind that's of player a, that he a, can be. It was a very good move that he did, you know, like good forechecking. Deceptive stick. Deceptive stick. Ken Hitchcock likes to say. <laughs> Big, long stick. Um, Big, long, deceptive <laughs> stick. <laughs> just, it's getting into adult this, content this now. This feels like uh, <laughs> a Me Too moment. <laughs> don't go there. Don't go there. Um, 
Hitchcock also mentioned after the, the Tampa Bay game that the, one of the reasons why the Oilers did not play well was that Tampa Bay really showed um, the Oilers' lack of depth. Um, having Alice Kalorn and JT Miller on the third line in Tampa Bay and then having people like Stamkos and Kucherov. And, yeah. and like they have a, a plethora of fantastic depth. And Hitchcock mentioned how we can't we have to stop relying on just these um three or four players to make plays and i'm sure he, he didn't mention any names but probably gonna say like mcdavid nuge dry side old chase on like i feel like yeah. those are the four players yeah i mean nurse to an extent now, yeah since he's been elevated um yeah I, he's right though right like yeah. I, the brodzia cassie and luch each line can only like board battle for so long they need to right. actually end up with like a pocket in that kind get of a goal <laughs> yeah. and it sucked because Jujar that was taking that next step in terms mm-hmm. of being like sort of a secondary scorer and someone who can who could play in that role and has some talent and skill in that area right uh, but you're right yeah totally I and I think that this is going to be a situation in general Hitchcock is actually like I don't know if this is a shot I don't know if Hitchcock said this is a, as a shot to Shirelli but it felt much like this is what I have. This is the best I can do with this lineup kind of thing. Like, I can only move this lineup so much. We're getting this. This is the results that we might get against big teams like Tampa Bay. I mean, I think that there was a bit of that. He was. I, I think it was in relation to the defense. Yeah. And that's a big piece of this as well, too, because you've got two of our best defensemen out. Three, arguably, if you count Sek- Sekera, yeah. Sekera in this thing. And, I, you know... This is the thing that kills me all the time: is that Oscar Kleffbaum and and Chris Russell get lots of love and hate in the media, um, but you ju- you can see how impactful they are on a team and their their presence. He, and he said, you know, we got we're asking players to go above and beyond their capacities in this moment at this time. Right. Everyone, and you're, these are the results that you're going to start to see. Yeah. Um, and it's especially the defense. You're right. You're especially the defense, right. and you see the Oilers like there there is sort of like a consistent flow to the game that they're getting into. Which is that they play well off the start, they have some success, they weather a couple pushbacks, they have some success, they let in a goal, they get a goal back, they weather, they have some success, and then they get into the second half of the game, maybe the last ten minutes of the five minutes of the second period, the third period, and then they, the game starts to get away from them. It's because you can only ask those players to do that kind of work for uh, at, at that level. Um, for so long, exactly, and so there is a lack of depth, and and I think he said like we are we've been hit in the exact place where we can't afford to be hit, and I think yeah. he's directly re- re- referring, referring to defense to the defense. Yeah. I agree with that. I agree with that. I think as much as 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 people harp on Russell, myself included, um, he is a full time defenseman, and losing a full time defenseman is always bad. Um, he's going to guarantee between 14 and 17 minutes a night. Mm-hmm. He's going to kill some penalties. He's a veteran too. Like he's he knows what he's doing. Like Agravel is not going to is not going to put the same thing. Even a Benning is not going to be the same thing as Absolutely. Russell. So um, that's tough. That's tough. And I don't know. I don't know what to say. Like in these respects, I think people have said it already. Depth has been a problem for the Oilers for a while, and it sucks to hear that when he Hitchcock was talking about scoring too, like. It's tough to see that we're only depending on four players, and I don't know what to do. And like looking at the lineup, maybe this is a conversation for later of what the Oilers can do um, moving forward. Because I don't know how much further the Oilers can. Well, be they've with this got lineup. six million dollars sunk into a guy who hasn't scored in one seventy-four mm-hmm. games or something like that. Milan yeah. Lucic, right? Yeah, you've got a bunch of money sunk in on guys <clears throat> like 
Spooner and sort of just like the Spooner, bottom Cassian, six, yeah, bottom Kajula. six kind of guys that um, you know, I think Kajula still has a chance to be successful. In mm-hmm. the um, so yeah, but he's not going to bet you like twenty goals or anything like that, right? No, like no. it's just that that's the thing. So. I guess there's just a bunch of conversation questions here around like how do you how are you better how do you yeah. get better yeah yeah and I think that's the place. the next conversation we're at all right um I wanted to put this because it's just I just kind of fun so Seattle obviously announced uh, a hockey team just recently um, and we talked do about they have a name yet or no 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 name yet Kraken I hope they would name Kraken, the Seattle <laughs> Krakens yes um the there was a volunteer run kind of like publicly funded radio station KEXP they announced it's their physical official music partner leading curation of the in arena music experience for Seattle's National Hockey League franchise that will begin play in fall 2021 at the new Seattle Center Arena that's kind of cool to have like a radio station like especially like an independent publicly owned radio station be like yeah you're carrying all our music do do good with our music and a lot of people found this news to be like kind of cool I just wanted to add it in as kind of like this is positive news <laughs> Yeah, for the NHL. I think that's kind of neat. Yeah. Um, I mean, we talk a lot about the corporatization of the sport and all sports in general. Uh, with the NHL, it seems to be have been really impactful or for yeah. us here in Edmonton um, to do something a little bit unique and different. Very cool, very interesting, and to get people involved in the game as early and often as possible. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's lots of lessons <coughs> that the NHL learned in Vegas around how to build success. And community. And community. Community environment. And I think Seattle's interesting. It'll be, it'll be an interesting environment because I think they, they move through things very progressively. And I'm very interested in how Seattle is going to approach hockey, a very conservative hockey environment yes. already. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, on the last part, like uh, this is a segment I kind of wanted to call Missed Takes. Um, it's just a part of like looking at the media and just and looking to see how we can talk about the media in a very nuanced way instead of this back and forth. So Pierre Maguire, our lovely Pierre Maguire, as you know, um, he mentioned, this is a quote, all the pedigree analytics programs have failed. Florida, Edmonton, Buffalo, all failed using analytics. Arizona's failing. You cannot debate it. And he continued, boots on the ground will always beat analytics. Now, I have some takes on this specifically, but what were your first thoughts when you're hearing Pierre Maguire talk about analytics? Um, Pierre Maguire gets paid to do a couple things. One is to provide in-game color commentary. Yep. Another is to do update, be an insider and know about things that are going on in the league and update fans as to potential trades and, mm-hmm. and, and be used as a bit of a mouthpiece for general managers if they want to talk about someone that they want to trade. Third is that he's expected to provide context and, and comment on the game as it is right now in a way that will incite conversation. So this is, you think this is more of an insight? You're- I think that he's trying to incite, like, he's trying to build controversy here. I mean, he's so insulated from this debate. He's insulated from all of those yeah. things. Um, and I think that a lot of the people that he probably talks to and and that impacts his work in terms of being an insider and having impact on the game uh, and knowing things are going to be on a similar side to him on, on this comment. He's not hurting anyone by saying this. Uh, even the, mentioning the teams themselves, I mean, maybe Arizona's failing is a bit strong. But um, he's he's saying this to elicit conversation. Um, 
and what bothers so that's what, and I think he would say the same thing. Well, that's my job is to push things forward. Right. What if we're going to take this to the next level and talk about media and media mm-hmm. criticism? What bothers me about this is that I think it comes across as entirely disingenuous. If that's the case, that's my issue. And with it. what I what bothers me is that there's a lot of people that spend a lot of time in this debate who have a lot invested in this debate. Um, who have you know lost friends or uh, around in the game around this or lost jobs, mm-hmm. um, but also just like gotten into very heated emotive discussions on social media regarding the use of the eye test versus analytics on someone like hey Chris Russell, um, and so to be so flippant with creating controversy around this topic, I think is wholly irresponsible, entirely inappropriate, and completely unprofessional. I agree with that, and I think that's like. That was, that was my biggest issue with this, is that it is a kind of a very flippant, like you mentioned, flippant is a great word. It's just um, disregarding what the other narrative would be, might be. I think with analytics, the biggest problem with it that I see in, in Twitter and media in general is that they, they posit it as an as a, um, analytics versus the eye test. Like... Like they're like they are head to head with each other, which in reality they probably work line on line. And when I hear people talk about analytics, like people who are actually in with NHL, they say no, we use analytics to either inform or to prove. Like we will say, hey, look, you know, so and so player has a fifty-two percent Corsi. Look at what he's doing on the ice. Is that correlating? Is it doing something? Or you can see the other way. You can say, so-and-so player looks like they are doing a lot of giveaways. Am I right here? Am I confirming my bias with this? And then they'll look to like advanced analytics. And then you say, well, yeah, he is. He has a ton of giveaways. Or maybe his um, you know, neutral zone takeaway is, is pretty bad. That's what analytics is for. It's just data. Like, it's like supplementary to the conversation. Yeah. And, I, and there's <laughs> – and to see, or from required to say like – and analytics programs have failed. I'm like, I guarantee there's not one NHL program that does not use high high skills. Yeah, analytics. sometimes the stats, you know, and and it's like, what kind of stats are you looking at? Like, I think Hitchcock gave us clued us into what he some of the things that he's looking at, and he was talking about yeah. data around net front presence. Exactly, and like you can talk about that or, or 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 driving to the net, and you see the Oilers funnel towards the front of the net more and more and more, and that's more of a Hitchcock style. Um, so he, the stats that speak to that, whether it's you know time on the ice in front of the net or yeah. or shots from in close or whatever you want to you, you want to talk about, that's that 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 supports his style of coaching. And and I think when you look at whether a player is quote unquote good or not, um, you can't look at just the data. You can't just you can't just look at his you know, goals and assists. Exactly. You can't just look at you know the eye test quote unquote. Yeah. It has to be a, a combination of all three. I mean, maybe McGuire's trying to sort of put forward this idea that there were programs that relied whole, wholly and solely on um, an analytical information and to, yeah. to build rosters and, and information. And, but I don't know. Like, that's not the case. Because even in, he, then he uses Edmonton, and I know... That's enough to know that like it it, it it wasn't like the guy was the, D, the GM right like it was it was just part of a larger no. bit and it's funny because he's like I I was very the reason why I added it in because he included Edmonton in this in this um, these list and I'm like when did Edmonton have a like a highly 
promoted analytics program. And the only one I can think of is when Tyler Dello was hired or maybe when Dallas Aikens yeah, was, was a Dello, coach. It has to be Dello. Yeah. At the same time, I'm like, you know, like Peter Shirelli's been like, like it's funny because Pierre Maguire used Peter Shirelli's uh, Boston Bruins team as the prototype of being like, look at these fourth line players. They were instrumental for their Stanley Cup win. Um, and I'm like, did you know that Peter Shirelli is the GM of the Edmonton yeah, 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 right yeah. now? <laughs> like this. Well, and I think he was talking about like the McTavish days or whatever it was. Yeah, you know? <laughs> no, but, it's really but still, weird. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Anyway, I think it's important that you bring this up. I think that this is uh, something that we want to do more is just talk about, you know, those hot takes. and Yeah. And I want to give... Wh- what's the point of it, right? Yeah. And, and you know, like Jonathan Willis went a little bit deeper into this, and I wanted to highlight what he said. Um, he said, people would like you to, to believe the paradigm is numbers versus old school. It isn't. The paradigm is willing to consider anything useful versus not willing. If you're walling off knowledge, whatever from, whatever from that knowledge takes, you are diminished. And I think... He makes a good point to say, like, the the battle is not between using analytics versus not using analytics. It's like finding a stat that you think is useful for finding a stat that you think is not useful. The plus minus things, for example, can be useful in some areas but cannot be useful in others. Absolutely. And there's Absolutely. some points where and you're there's like, some players where they're gonna na- they're naturally gonna take on more minuses or more pluses because they play in more positive or negative situations. Exactly. Right? Everything's on, everything's has a has a context has a nuance to it. You can't context just is everything. You can't just pick and choose. So, anyways, this is a part of it that I really wanted to move on and um, yeah, we're we wanted to, we wanted to use this platform to kind of create more of a healthy discussion around some of these big big topics and i think analytics is something that we can keep well i think just media commentary in general too being able to see through what mcguire is doing um in that situation and also you know john's response yeah it's like you know there's a piece of that there's there's a piece of that too that that's that's missing as well too right right so anyways let's take a break and then we're going to come back to our big topic which is i mean we got to talk about mcdavid right Oh, yeah, talk about penalties. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, the other big news that we uh, that we neglected, not neglected, just skipped over because we wanted to talk about it in a bigger area, um, was Ken Hitchcock um, going after the refs after the St. Louis game, and this is what he said. Um, quote, I'm not going to comment on the penalties, but the stuff that really bothers me is what's happening to Connor. I'm not going to comment on the penalties, but I am. I am definitely going to comment on the penalties. <laughs> but the stuff that really bothers me is what is happening to Connor. And that really bothers me because we're in a league that is supposed to showcase our top players and you don't want to give them all the freedom. But the tug of war on him was absolutely ridiculous today. That so was- this is in relation to the... Uh, this was immediately after the Vancouver game. This where is Vancouver played him yes. really hard. Yes, uh, the entire night, like very hard. Yes, which is really interesting because um, I was watching Hockey Night in Canada last night with the Tampa Bay game, and they were talking about the Vancouver Winnipeg game as well, and they were talking about how Winnipeg was really pushing on Elias Pettersson. Yes. Which is really, like, it's this ironic kind of And then of everyone in Vancouver was upset because they didn't get a penalty. Yeah, which is like, oh, you have your superstar now. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever talked to a Vancouver Canucks fan about not getting penalties in the Stanley Cup playoff run? <laughs> I was in Vancouver for um, a wedding during that run, 
and people were upset at me because I wasn't cheering for the Canucks. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah, "You're yeah. not cheering for the Canucks? Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you yeah. serious? What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. It's so like I'm like Canada's I'm team. like I hate Burroughs. How do you hate like, Burroughs? You know, I, f- I, I recently found this team two weeks ago, and <laughs> I love it's them. very important <laughs> to me that you cheer for them. I love them so much. How dare you? <laughs> it's so. It's so hipster right now to cheer for the Vancouver Canucks. I want it. I want it. I thought you were cool. Anyways, back to McDavid. Now, <laughs> any opportunity I get. Absolutely, we can we can we can do a whole episode on, on the Vancouver Canucks. <laughs> um, the two narratives going through this. One of them was well. First of all, okay. Let me get your take on this. What do you think? What What do you? What were your thoughts when you heard Hitchcock's comments? Um, well, I thought it was funny that he said, uh, uh, you know, and I brought it up here, that he said he wasn't going to comment on penalties and refereeing, and then he did. Um, I was like, I, I, my next thought was, well, is the league going to find him or not? Because I, I think, you know, a younger coach, maybe, you know, who yeah. didn't a have the coach. pedigree of him, yeah, 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 yeah. a junior coach, uh, would probably have gotten lit up for those comments. Um, but when it comes from Hitchcock, it means something different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He's totally using this power structure. I mean, that. I, I think he's right in the sense that there's ebbs and flows to the game and, and what's called and what's not. And I think that there is just, unfortunately now, we're into year four of Connor McDavid in the league, him being the fastest best player. And it's sort of, as a fan, I've come to terms with, and maybe I shouldn't have, I shouldn't, that he is just going to be hooked and tugged and beaten down and pushed, and he's probably going to draw one of the potential four calls he should get every night. Right. Um, but when it gets to the point where he's not getting that one call, or at all, yeah, then I'm really frustrated by it. Because the, the truth is, he is... And I think later on in the quote talks about being a give and go player, and he, he yep. can't be he can't he can't do that if he gives the puck and then he's just being held to be kept up with. And, um, but I have big issues around how the league officiates in general because it seems like every five years or so we go through this officiating uh, reset where all of a sudden this is not going to be allowed and we're yep. not going to allow to slash <clears throat> or we're not going to allow this hooking or we're yep. not going to allow this type of play anymore. And for the first. 20 to 30 games it happens. It, 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 it's it's called pretty it's pretty it's called pretty re- religiously and like on point but by the time you get to game 82 we're back to where we were before yeah. and and everything's let slide and never, let alone what happens in the playoffs too Absolutely. and Absolutely. there's a different standard around playoffs so there's a different standard that exists in officiating i think where in the league um and there's not standardized and i i mean i think every sport has issues with this um but i look to you know leagues like the NFL um, that has have done a really good job of sort of clearly defining what's appropriate and what's not and then sticking to that. At least being able to stick to it is the big thing for me. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I'm reminded of when it was like a year ago, maybe two years ago when the NHL was like, well, we're going to look at their slashing. We're going to look at the holding. Uh, and I remember, okay, so before I actually start that, um, <laughs> one of our favorite writers in Edmonton, uh, David Staples, had his, had his take um, on that. And uh, he's, you know, he's Mr. I'm going to support Edmonton Oilers, whatever they say. And, of course, he's, he's uh, supporting Hitchcock. It's interesting, though, that 
whatever. He didn't say anything too badly. The only thing that I was just like, okay, like Staples, stop off. He said that McClellan has never said that. He's like, this is the first time a coach has like stepped up and like per- and like protected McDavid and like. I'm like, I know that you, were you not a fan? You're not a fan of Todd McClellan, but he definitely has stepped up and and, and um, said to protect uh, McDavid. And that was one of those instances when the NHL changed or supposedly changed those rules to say we're going to look after the slashing and holding. And McClellan said, yes, this is an issue because this happens to McDavid all the time. And even McDavid commented on yeah, this too. Totally. So I agree with you in that respect. <clears throat> and as well, um, Mark Spector, another one of our favorites, uh, <laughs> he um, – this is one of the media thing that I really hate is the – is the taking a specific stat and just like conflating it out of context. Yeah. Um, so Spectre uh, said that their player, there's a, there's oh, a, what f- did Spectre do? There's a player, a fourth line player almost called Warren Fogel. I don't even know who this person is. Um, he's a low profile Carolina winger averaging 1358 per game compared to McDavid's 2238 has somehow drawn 17 penalties to McDavid's 16 penalties this season. Okay, <laughs> so true, but also <laughs> this is this is the people. I'm, these are the top people that have drawn penalties in the NHL um, this year. So Barkov is at 23, uh, Nathan McKinnon's at 20, Pasternak is at 18, Pierre-Luc Dubois is at 18, Goudreau's at 17, Fogel's at 17, McDavid's at 16. Marchand's at 16, Barzal's at 16, Ehlers at 16, Heischer's at 16. This is all considering to what their time is, how many games they played. Reverend Brownlee has a really good breakdown of this. So this is, again, like a cherry-picked stat that Spectre is like, oh, look at Warren Fogle. He's drawing 17 penalties. Alvin McDavid not drawing 16. This is a problem with all-star players, <laughs> not just one Warren Fogle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's interesting to see this line. Fogel's being really hampered. Yeah, up there. <laughs> but like to see like these are the people that are drawn, like in the well, area I mean, of they're drawn player penalties. makers. They're developers. They're the fastest, youngest players in the league. I, yeah, I, I, this doesn't surprise me. They're also you know, well, Brad Marchand's also like a pest in some ways too. Yeah, I mean, but he's amazing around the boards. Uh, I'm surprised not to see Crosby up there because Crosby's an outstanding player yeah. on the boards as well too. I agree. But I think Crosby had to deal with this in, in, in a certain way as well because he is such a he was such a dominant force for a long time as well too. And there's always this there's this incessant conversation about like why is he not getting the calls? Why right. is he getting the calls? Well, and what was Crosby called at the start of his career? He was called a whiner. Yeah. And like imagine if Connor and and like I'm like very um, positive to say that Crosby had a point <laughs> back then. You know what I mean? Well, and but even you know, yeah. I mean, last night, beginning of the game, like one of the first rushes, I think the second or third shift, like Connor McDavid just like literally get held like at the the center line as he's yeah. passing, going through a guy. And I understand that he's a very difficult player to manage, but if you have to bend the rules in order to manage him, and that's that, the, and the game's going to allow that, then I don't like that. Like, no, I don't, I don't like think that at all. It's, it's just not good. Like it's and and it and it wouldn't matter if it was McDavid was on our team or, or if you're talking about, you know, a Barzell or a McKinnon anywhere. Like mm-hmm. having those players with that capacity do what they can do and allowing them to do it within because they do they do everything they do within the rules. Right. But then we have to bend the rules to allow for a, 
you know, them to be stopped. I, I, I just, the game doesn't get, it's a bit like, you know, the offside challenges or uh, goal center interference challenges too. It's like, why would you take excitement out of the game? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, and also like, you know, there's times I just, I look at a play. The other thing that bothers me, and maybe you'll have a better take on this than me too, is just like how officiating is utilized in the game as well. It's sort of like that situation where you're battling for a puck and maybe your arm gets in between their, the uh, other opposing player's arm and the body, and then they just grab, hold onto your arm, or they hold onto your yeah. stick, and they lock it in to try and show that there was like a hooking penalty yeah. in that situation. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And like, that's not that's not how it works. Like no. that player, that, that's not a battle for a puck. That's some like weird body like position, wrestling, yeah, thing. wrestling <laughs> thing. Like, you know, if if now if I go in there and grab you and and throw you aside or hamper you from getting the puck. Then that's a hold, but you know, like th- there's this weird sort of like acceptance of like that type of strategic play around officiating that that's acceptable and that's somehow good, and and those are consistently called, always right. called. Um, but you watch someone like Connor McDavid try and skate down the ice against certain teams, and it's it's impossible for him to. It is, and and I think that's the issue is that um, I agree with you about the excitement part of it. Like, how are we stopping people like McDavid and even people like? We're looking at this list. Like Barkov is a great player. McKinnon's a great player. Pasternak's a great player. Goudreau's a great player. Ugh, I hate saying that. Um, but even then... Johnny these, Hockey, baby. Oh, man, don't. <laughs> um, these are really exciting players that use speed as a, as a weapon. And I think it's just more relevant when you see defenders trying to like slow them down. And I think this happens in a lot of sports. Like, I just go back to playing soccer, right? Like, or even watching soccer. There's some fouls where you're, like, in the open field. Some fouls are called religiously. Boom. They got to foul. No problem. But as soon as it gets to a corner kick, it's anything goes in that box. People are, like, shoving each other down, like, holding yes, each yeah. other. Like, so I'm seeing people giving headlocks. I'm just, like, damn. Like, it's like a freaking Thunderdome in there. And I feel that same way sometimes in hockey. Is like there's this weird, unwritten stuff that goes on that's um that doesn't get called and it's these unwritten things that hamper people like mcdavid and hamper people like johnny goodrow people like matthew barzal um because they're i don't know they're just (laughs) it's weird to say but this is just they're just better than other players you know what i mean and it's like you see it when uh, mcdavid plays nazim Kadri, right like Nick David versus Nazem Kandri, I think will McDavid will win five out of five times in yeah. a one-on-one battle. Yeah, but Kadri has to go that extra mile to kind of you know get him try and manage him in that way. I mean, yeah, the Kessler level. is the same thing in the playoffs. Yeah. He did that as well too. And then that, I mean, I'm interested in your take on this too. Like, there seems to be a further differentiation between certain times of the season and uh, beginning to end, and when they institute a rule or not. And the end of the season in the playoffs. And yep. the, the playoffs, there's something, there's a difference. There's a difference. Of, uh, difference. Uh, what's acceptable and what's not. And there's a difference between what's allowed in the first round and what's allowed in the fourth round. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I don't know. And I. But you know what? When you walk, like, and I keep, I, I hate the NFL for a lot of different reasons. <laughs> yeah. And there's lots of reasons to hate the NFL uh, from, like, a sort of progressive standpoint. Yes, absolutely. But the Super Bowl is called the same as game one. Yeah, the rules apply it in the same way. Why do you the think that is? Expectations are because there's been a clear commitment by the league to create a game that is officiated 
fairly through and through. Consistently. And, 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 and consistently. I mean, it also has to do with their much larger officiating crews, too. Yes. Uh, I think that, but I think that, you know, and, and it's not to rip on NHL referees because I think that they do a lot of, it's a difficult job and they do good work. Let's just start there. Do like, you think, and but, maybe this is like, like, um, I'm I getting into like solutions mode. I think yeah, maybe having because having more refs on the ice is not. It's gonna like we already have two refs on the ice. It's like yeah. already, it's too much already. Having a ref like in a bird's eye view, being able to call delayed penalties when plays have already happened. For example, like a play's happened, like a minute has passed by, and you get to hear from the call. I say like two minutes ago or like a minute ago, so and so. Oh held. no, I think that would be incredibly frustrating. For fans, for players, for but everyone. like, how do you stop this? Then these players, these refs are human. I mean, I think that there is some value in having someone <clears> off <throat> the ice looking down a bird's eye view mm-hmm. on what's going on in the play, and their role is to catch, you know, too many men. And how how do you, um, uh, yeah, like holding plays behind the play? And but they just like got to be done like quickly, right? Like, yeah, you could radio it in. Like there's yeah. technology you could do it. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But I, was, like, I think technology that more so it's about. Clearly defining the rules, what's acceptable and what's not. Yeah. What is a hold? What is a stick check? What is, you know, I mean, look, the NHL, it's not like it's not within their capacity. We've had a complete rework on the rules and expectations and deliverables around shots to the head in the game. True. Um, and so where is the next conversation to be had around holding? Where's that next conversation around? Um, uh, stick checks yeah. and hooking and and I think you can do that in a way that still entices physicality and, 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 and builds a, a, a strong um, a strong physical component that's not dangerous and it's not impeding I mean play. I think coaches will get frustrated and people will say well we can't have half the game on power plays and penalty kills and I was like yeah I'm like yeah you can't so learn the rules and apply them effectively, and, yeah. t- and teams will adapt. They will. And that's what happened in 2006 when that's how we got, like, the neutral zone trap and, like, these, like, skating. Like, remember, like, I don't know if you remember back in the day, like, when early 2000s, when people would just, I'm, like. I'm much too young. <laughs> just, I'm not as old as you. <laughs> old man Herman's going to have a story. Black <laughs> and white. So we'll be able to hook, hook players and just, like, water skate almost, like, till the end of the neutral zone. 2006 when the strike happened and the new CBA happened and there was a big urgency of like we need to stop that because that's hampering the game there was penalties being called like nuts so that year was crazy in regards to stats yep. and to uh, how many penalties I think that needs to happen again and it's just like a little like a purge almost and, like, yeah. and it also coincided with two incredibly gifted players entering into the league yeah Ovechkin and Crosby yeah Absolutely. And it was meant to facilitate, I'm sure, in some ways, you know, showing off our game again, too, and showing off those guys. And those guys had great years. But, like, yeah, I, I, I'm totally with you on this. I think that – and I don't think it's the officiators – I don't think it's the referee's fault. I think a lot of times in-game the referees are blamed for yeah. this. But we have a larger systemic cultural issue around officiating in the NHL. Absolutely. And I think it's because older and if older officials who have been doing it for a long time are now the bosses and the people that are informing – in that, yeah, and, and there's I a think they, there, there's a huge, there's a huge. Prof- they they're very professional. They're a very professional group of individuals. It's just 
I don't know that there's a clearly defined this is uh, this is what we want. Yeah. Artificially, so they sort of have to kind of color in the lines themselves. And I think that there that what goes on in the NHL from an officiating perspective. And the game is fast mm-hmm. too, but you know what? The NFL is fast too, mm-hmm. um, and there's more there's more players on the ice in the NFL. Yep, um, but there needs to be, is there? A, yeah, because you got like eleven on each oh, side. Okay, okay, right? Yeah, okay. On every play, there's twenty four people running around, or twenty two people. Yeah, running yeah, around. it's like duh. Sorry, but right. yeah. yeah. So, like, there's the, there needs to be a clearly defined sort of what do we want to do? What are the outcomes here? Yeah, What's the kind clear. of game that we want? to facilitate and how do we adjust the rule book or how do we adjust our interpretation of the rule book to ensure that you can go into Carolina on a Tuesday night or Edmonton on a Saturday night and experience the same play and they'll be called exactly the same way. Yeah, same officiating. I agree. Like very uniformly, very consistent. Yeah, I'm looking for uniformity. I think it's important. I think we've gotten to the point now where the game is so professional in every other aspect why is our officiating still not at that place? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, we're going to keep talking about officiating, I'm sure. <laughs> There's going to be other ones. Well, and it sucks because I know we're so biased because we're Edmonton Oilers fans and we've got McDavid. But I felt like this for a long time around the game, I think, even and, before. And you know what? Like, like, yeah, and I think Hitchcock comes from, a, obviously, more of a biased sense that he has somebody like McDavid. I'm sure he would have never said this. I don't know. He might have said this, but he has more of a an eye right now because he sees it like every single day, day in, day out. Yeah. Um, but this is not just like a McDavid problem. I'm sure he would love the more penalties as well. Like, and I hope this power play gets on track. Well, it's not like the power play's been in. I know that's what I was going to say. I'm like, well, any power play needs to be better. But this helps out everybody else. Like, again, this helps out the Barkovs, the McKinnons, the Pasternaks, the Bedros, the Marchands, the Barsals, the Ehlers, the, the Heishers. This is a league-wide problem, and this needs to be worked on. Even the Warren Fogels of the world. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, my friend. We are going to take a two-week break. Hey, are you buddy. Going to Merry, Merry Christmas. Merry Happy Christmas holidays. to you, too. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You know, let's hope for let's hope for the playoffs. How about that? All I want for Christmas is my Oilers in the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> Do you miss singing in your podcast? Uh, no. <laughs> I know you had a lot of singing in your old podcast. <laughs> All right, everyone, have a wonderful, wonderful break. Um, Elliot, where can people send uh, their best wishes to you? At Tanti Yeg on Twitter. You can send me all the Amazon presents at uh, German, not German on Twitter as well. And you can find the 104 podcast at 10O4POD. Have a wonderful break. Have a happy holidays. Have a safe New Year's. We'll see you next year on the 104.